Boundaryless Kayak Fishing Podcast with your host, Mark Goodrow. All right, guys, thank you for tuning back into the Boundaryless Kayak Fishing Podcast uh, with your host, Mark Goodrow. And today we have an exciting episode. Today is all about fishing kayaks, what you need to look for. When you're going to purchase a new fishing kayak, some of the different brands and models out there, and all those little details that I look at when I'm looking for a new fishing kayak. So this is going to be a fun one. Um, This is one of the first questions when someone gets into the sport of kayak fishing. One of the first questions they have is, what kayak should I buy? And so we're going to dive into that in a little bit of the details today. Um, Just from my personal experience, I've had, gosh, probably around four or five kayaks now. I started off in just a typical sit-in kayak. Um, That's going to be your your Loon 106, just a little 10-foot, 9-foot, pretty small sit-in kayak that you see. A lot of people that are starting off the sport start off in one of those smaller sit inside fishing kayaks and um, you know really just progress from there I end up next getting a affordable sit on top kayak Um, just a a lime green sit on top you know the foot placement just had a bunch of ridges to set your feet on Uh, the seat was built into the kayak and then just had a little backrest that you could just tighten the straps on Um, but you know to a little back rod holders built in just your your stereotypical uh you know very affordable inexpensive sit on top kayak from there i went over to a native slayer that was really my first true fishing kayak that i had um i like that kayak a lot it had a little bit more rocker which we'll, we'll discuss what that means later a little bit more rocker um so it turned a little bit more didn't track quite as straight as I wanted it to and then it also had a kind of a bull nose on it a little bit rather than a narrow uh, pointed nose and just for the waters I'm fishing in it was much more of a I'd say it was more of a river kind of kayak than a lake kayak and for the waters I was fishing I wanted something that tracked a little straighter and that moved a little quicker through the water so I ended up getting rid of that and that's when I made the the big jump to the Hobie Oh, and I'll also just be clear than that, that native that wasn't their pedal kayak, that hadn't really become a big thing quite yet. Um, that was just their regular paddling with your arms. Um, and then I went up to the Hobie Outback next, which is pedal with your feet. Um, big upgrade. Uh, one of the best kayaks out there that's available. And then recently, I just added the fleet, so I have still my 2017 Hobie Outback, and now I just got a 2016 Hobie Pro Angler 14, which really is uh, it's very similar to the current Pro Angler 14 for Hobie, which is really nice. Um, got a really good deal on it, relatively speaking. It's still a Hobie, so you're still paying Hobie kind of prices. But it was it a was good deal for everything it had on it. You know, it had a full battery system, has a power pull on it. Um, which is, which is pretty awesome, a very expensive upgrade in itself. It came with Hobie's H-Crate and um, just a lot of 
different things added on, kind of extra features. So that's nice. Um, and But that one had only the forward Hobie Mirage drive. Uh, luckily, my Outback has the 180 drive, and they fit within each other. So it's kind of the, the best of both worlds there. Um, it's not the new 360, but it's a, it's a tank. So that's kind of how I've progressed in my kayak fishing and the different kayaks I've had. Um, but first off, I really just want to hit is on the price. And so if you're an entry angler and you're trying to get into kayak fishing, it does not have to be an expensive sport. And this is why I see a lot of people, you know, chalk up kayak fishing as being kind of a really expensive sport. And fishing in general is already known to be pretty expensive because by the time you get your rods and reels and lures and everything, um, you know, it can be, it can be however expensive uh, you want it to be. But when you get into kayak fishing, if you have a rod and reel and a few lures, a few good lures that you have confidence in, and you go pick up, you know, even if it's one of those smaller sitting kayaks for around, you know, $300 or so, I mean, you can get in this sport for as low as I'd say life jacket, paddle, kayak, you can get into the sport for probably around $500, um, especially if you looked at more of the used market, um, you might be able to get a, a decent little setup for, for around $500. Um, it's going to probably be tough to get in much less than that, so just be aware um, if you are trying to get into it that by the time you add those little things, and then a lot of uh, states actually have you register your kayaks if they're over a certain length, you have to kind of incorporate that too. But I think it, it can be done for around $500 to get specifically into kayak fishing. Um, for me, you know, this is this is my primary hobby and sport. Um, so for me, it's been worth it to upgrade and, and get a little more in the game and definitely has cost a lot more. Um, I'll get into a little how I justify those costs here in a little bit, which is a funny story. Um, but like I said, one of the first things is that you need to be able to afford it. Um, I remember just probably a year back, we had someone in the fishing group that went and bought one of the kayaks on sale. Um, and, you know, I, I think it was like a Vibe kayak is marked down to like $800. And he ended up accidentally getting double charged. It's kind of a holiday. I don't know if he refreshed the button or if it was a mess up on Vibe's end or what, but he ended up getting double charged uh, for his kayak purchase. And then he posted about, you know, how he's, that put him into debt and how he's not able to afford diapers for his children. He can't even afford gas then to get to work, to make money, to you know, feed his kids and all this. And, you know, my first thought was, if you only have, you know, let's say that's $1,600. And if you only have $1,600 to your name, I do not recommend going out and buying an $800 kayak. You can do a lot of bank fishing. You can get an even cheaper kayak. Um, at that point, I'd, I'd recommend just saving up um, until you have enough money to really get in the sport. Uh, maybe you need to go do something a little more affordable than kayak fishing. Um, but like I said, it does not need to be something that 
is expensive. Most likely you already have a rod and reel or can borrow one from someone. And then um, you can get an expensive kayak and you can use that until you decide if you really wanna invest in something else or not. Um, and the other thing you have to look at is just give yourself a reality check and see how much you're really gonna be able to get on the water. I know for me, it's hard, you know, it's hard to get out every weekend. That's, that's tough. Um, you know, things pop up and you have commitments and everything and you want to spend some time with your family uh, when you're not working. So it's difficult to really get a ton of time on the water. So you got to think, well, how many times am I really going to get on the water? And is it worth spending a thousand, two thousand dollars on a fishing kayak if, you know, I'm only going to get out? 10 times this year for you know two hours each time or something so just take a look at how much you're going to get out how much it means to you what you know those dollars everybody's financials are different um you know some guys that have no problem dropping five thousand dollars into a trailer and kayak and some people it's going to be expensive to drop five hundred dollars so really depends on you and your situation um but be smart about it. How I kind of justified going initially with that Hobie Outback. I actually made a spreadsheet. So that's kind of funny because I wanted to basically convince my wife that it's worth it. And so if you guys are going down this route and you want to get the upgrade, here, here is my little secret trick. What you need to do is you need to spend about two to three months convincing your wife that you want to buy a boat. And so... That's, that's the biggest trick. And maybe some of you have already been doing this for a few years. In that case, you have one, a leg up on everybody else. But um, my, what I really did was I was looking at getting a boat, pretty convinced. I was looking at, you know, just a decent Alumacraft aluminum fishing boat. Um, but either way, if you get a new one, you're looking at probably around fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars um, for even just a little 16 footer basic aluminum boat. Um, and so I put this in a spreadsheet. So I got, you know, $14,000 for a boat, $200 for registration, titling, tax, whatever, about $350 in gas annually, uh, 500 insurance, 500 winterizing storage, 500 accessories like life jackets, uh, throwables, lights, whatever it is, right? And so I have a total of about 16000 into it. Five years, 0%. You're looking at $575 um, finance per month for over like five years. And then what I really did, uh, which is an important part, is that I broke out what the yearly additional costs are. So every like three years in my state, you got to re-register it. Um, gas is a constant annual cost insurance is a constant annual cost winterizing storage constant annual and i figured you know 500 bucks a year probably in just miscellaneous different things and have to get things fixed so i was looking at probably like two thousand dollars a year in boat costs and it's not and that's not even paying for the boat that's just annual costs for gas insurance winterizing all of that right so you're looking two thousand dollars a year in a for a boat and then when you start looking at a kayak you basically have the upfront cost of the kayak with tax t 
titling and registration. Um, and then maybe you have a few accessories that you end up getting. So I have about $2,400 for a kayak and then $200 for accessories. But that's kind of how I broke it down. And basically you're looking at, you could buy a, essentially a brand new Hobie Outback or half of one um, every year um, for the same price it costs to run a boat and store it and get winterizing everything. And I know different people's situations are different where they might have room in the garage and so maybe there's not winterizing and storage. They can do that themselves or whatever. But for me, I would need to, I can't fit that in my garage. So that needs to be an extra cost. So anyways, just things to consider um, when comparing a boat versus a kayak. And then if you're looking to upgrade into really nice kayak and you've been thinking about a boat that's kind of an interesting twist to really get a kayak that you want is that you know you just kind of show how much you're saving in a sense by just going with a very affordable two to three thousand dollar kayak instead of a boat <laughs> so anyways something uh, to think about there um so let's get let's get back on track um Something somebody told me a long time ago that I see is very critical is that the best kayak you can get is a kayak that you're going to use the most. And that's something that I've kind of taken to heart recently. And there's a big importance on being able to get on the water quickly. Um, you don't really want to get a setup where it takes you a long time uh, for you to get out of the house and head out and get on the water. Maybe some of you guys have the time, but for me, um, time is of the essence. And I want to be able to throw my kayak either on top of the roof or get it on a trailer and get out within like 10 minutes. Um, so I've gotten pretty good at rooftop in my Hopi Outback. And within 10 minutes, I can grab that off the rack in my garage, throw it on top, strap it down all the accessories in the car and get out of here and because um, when you think about it there's a lot of time spent in loading up and unloading and then loading up and unloading again once you get on the water so if you think about the process you have to do it at home load uh, load the kayak up with all the accessories and then once you get to the lake you got to unload and get your kayak ready you go fish and then you get back, you reload your car and then you get back home and you unload. So if that's 10 minute process, then you're spending 40 minutes essentially for that trip in loading and unloading. Um, so the faster and easier you can get that down to, uh, there's saves you a lot of time and a lot of fishing time and just a lot of hassle in general, if you're able to get that down. Um, obviously one of the best things to do is if you go ahead and plan the night before or something and if you just have a little downtime you can kind of get everything on your car ready um, but sometimes it's kind of last second you're looking to just throw throw everything in the car and get going so the faster you can make that process and the easier then that's kind of the system and the kayak that you want to go with um, you know Kayak Angler Magazine just released an article basically saying how the sit-in kayaks are making a huge resurgence, uh, a huge resurgence in kayak fishing. I disagree. I think the sit-on-top is, is the king right now in kayak fishing. Um, 
I think it's kind of silly to say that sit-ins are taking over kayak fishing again, but I will say for simplicity's sake, a sit-in is pretty quick and easy to grab and go. And if you just have, you know, one little tackle box with a few miscellaneous things that you like to fish in a rod, you know, one or two rods and reels, and you have like a truck or even throw it on top of your car, I mean, that's, if you have a truck, you might be able to throw that stuff in within, you know, two or three minutes and be on your way. And so they kind of touted the sit-in as making a comeback for people who want an easier and simpler fishing experience and want to just be able to hit the road fast and, and get out there. And you don't have to worry about clipping in your seat, clipping in a big crate and all that things that you deal with on more of a true uh, all-day kayak fishing adventure. Um, so that's something that you really have to be thinking about um, is kind of that weight and transportation of the kayak and just the simple process. A lot of guys have been getting trailers recently. That's been kind of a big deal in kayak fishing recently is that for some of these heavier kayaks, there really is no way to truly transport them well without getting a quality trailer uh, to tow behind. Unless you have a truck um, and a lot of people just use a little uh, T-bar there and they can strap it down and it'll stick out of their truck a little ways. Um, but trailer has kind of been one of the go-to methods that we've seen more recently um, with the ability to not only trailer one kayak, but also another if you're taking a buddy or friend with you. Um, but trailer has a good reason for becoming popular, and that being a sense that you can just back your car up to it. Hopefully everything's already ready on the trailer, and you can just kind of take off and everything remains tied down. Um, and if you have a spot to store it, then you're kind of saving yourself uh, basically two of those uh, unloads and loads because if you just keep it on your trailer and it's ready to go, then you don't have to worry about the initial load up and you don't have to worry um, at the end about unloading it. So you can just keep everything ready to go. And then um, back to that thought that the best kayak is the one you use the most. Really, you guys have to start looking at the weight of some of these kayaks. Um, I'm a relatively young guy, I'm a pretty strong guy, so I can manhandle most kayaks, but this Hobie Pro Angler 14 I have is, it's a beast, and it is a pain to move much further than from, from my vehicle down that boat ramp. Um, it is definitely not something that I want to be hauling a long distance, and I have a trailer for it. I have not tried to car top it. Don't really ever want to think about car topping it. Um, the guy that I bought it from, like I said, I have the power pole on it. I have two batteries in it and all the wiring for transducer and, and the transducers on it. Um, when you start getting a kayak that's really more of a fishing machine that's kind of basically a boat <laughs> that you pedal or paddle um, that's when it's difficult to go without a trailer because like I said this thing is is heavy with everything loaded on it so um, you got to look at that you got to look at how many accessories you're going to put it on everything and really consider that in your in your transportation um, and like I said you don't have to get everything in the world on your kayak I mean you can do this very very easily um, 
kayak fishing does not have to be expensive. You do not need every accessory and gadget. You can get out in a little sitting kayak, pound a bank, and catch plenty of fish. Um, but anyways, let's get into now more of the sit on top versus sit in kayaks. So my suggestion between these two is, is I would get a sit on top kayak hands down uh, every time if I had to get it had to have a choice. Not to say that I don't want a sit-in kayak. Um, I'd love to have a little sit-in kayak kind of on standby just for quick trips and fun trips and, and trips where I need to do a little more paddling than actual fishing. Um, would love a sit-in kayak, but sit-on top, sit top kayaks I think are better um, in almost every way. And one of the biggest for me is just overall safety. Um, really what it comes down to here is safety when you flip. If you flip a sit-in kayak, especially if the water's cold or something like that, it's really not that big of a deal if the water's warm, it's a relatively calm day. But if it's cold water or it's choppy, this is kind of the difference in safety between these two. Uh, a sit-in kayak is going to fill up if you flip it over. And it's a hassle to flip them back over and get the water out and you get in the kayak safely again um, without having to go to shore. Whereas a sit on top, I've never, well, I'm not going wood here, but I've never truly turtled a sit on top kayak that I've had. I typically have fallen out, and this has happened only maybe what, twice uh, since I've been kayak fishing all these years. I'll fall out before the entire kayak actually flips over, um, which is kind of an advantage to sit on top. If you start leaning and you go to fall in the water in a sitting kayak, you're flipping the entire kayak over. It's going to fill with water. It's going to be a big, big pain. Sit on top. If you do end up turtling the whole kayak, you can flip that over on the water and you can relatively easy, easily get back into that kayak and keep on your way. Um, so I'd say you know, in a situation like cold water and chop, that could, that could be the difference between life and death, uh, to be honest. Um, so that is why I'm pretty serious about sticking with a sit-on-top kayak for fishing purposes um, in general, unless you're very comfortable and sit-in. I mean, once you get in, once you get really comfortable with the kayak, you kind of know its limits, and if you're smart in terms of when you go out and weather, then you, you won't have a problem in a sit-in. But that's just kind of one of my thoughts with the sit on top. Um, another thing with the sit on top is just the access. Um, everything is essentially open cockpit. You're able to reach your gear easier. You're able to store like a crate with your gear and rods um, ready for quick access. Um, just your movement. You don't feel they're crammed in a little sit-on or sit-in kayak where if you make any movement to the sides in a sit-in, you feel like you're going to flip over. Um, you don't really have that issue with a sit-on top. Um, it's easy movement, easy access to essentially everything. The stability in a sit-on top kayak is typically much better than a sit-in. Um, it's they're typically wider kayaks in general. They have a flat ground for you to be able to stand up on if you like to stand up and fish on a on a relatively calm day um, whereas sit-in there's a few 
there's really two sit-in kayaks that I've seen that are made to stand in. Um, let me see, I got them down here. The Jackson Kilroy makes a sit-in kayak that you can stand in that has kind of a flat bottom to it. And the new Bonafide EX-123 also had, was kind of a sit-in made to stand in. Um, but stability in general of a sit-on-top kayak is going to be better, and it was kind of built for that standing. Um, other than those two I listed for a sit-in kayak, they aren't really meant to stand in. I will say the stability should be better um, for those ones that are made for it for sit-ins because you are actually lower to the water than in a sit-in, so you should be more stable uh, in a sense, but they aren't built typically for that uh, initial and secondary stability. And then another one is just comfort. Um, the chair comfort of a sit-on-top is way better than a sit-in kayak, in my experience. And just the leg room, your legs aren't, um, you know, tucked in under the kayak. You kind of keep your legs out, keep them however you want. And then the chair, a lot of these fishing kayaks nowadays, the chair is basically like a lawn chair. Um, so you can sit in them all day, have no issues. Um, the other sitting kayaks are typically molded in and they're either comfortable for you or they aren't. There's not really much uh, ability to change or adjust those very much. And then life jacket kind of plays a little bit of a role in there. Uh, you just have to make sure that the chair is comfortable with your life jacket. Make sure you get a good fishing life jacket. They have the back uh, flotation portion is high up on your back and a lot less kind of in the lower portion, so you're not sitting against your life jacket and making it feel all awkward. Um, a good kayak fishing life jacket will have a higher flotation in the back and really uh, be more comfortable in those seats. The only downside to a sit on top uh, versus that sit in is that you, you a sit in will be a little faster when it comes to paddling typically it's a little more aerodynamic um, and they're usually a little faster um, and then sometimes on sit on top it's a little bit more of a wet ride um, you get some splashing over top the hole and everything and that's typically going right onto your legs or right into the kayak whereas a sit-in um, sometimes it's landing on a top deck and then it it goes aside before really getting to you or getting inside you also in a sit-in if you want to you can get a spray skirt that goes around you that prevents any water from really uh, getting in the kayak in general. Um, the only thing is with the spray skirt, you really lose access to pretty much all, uh, everything below the deck. So um, anyways, that's kind of my thoughts on sit on top versus sit in. I would personally go with sit on top all day if we really only have like one main kayak to use um, that's what i would go with like i said if you're looking for a second or third kayak or something like that a sit-in is a is a great option um, to be able to have and typically is a little lighter and more of a simpler uh, technique and fishability let's get into stability now um, kayaks continue to get wider and wider. Um, 
they started off relatively thin. Um, like I said, thinner and longer kayaks will track straighter and paddle more efficiently. Shorter and fatter or shorter and wider kayaks are going to have increased stability, but you're losing the tracking and the speed. Um, what they're trying to do with fishing kayaks is merge the best of both worlds, but typically when you're fishing, you're willing to sacrifice speed for stability. Um, so that's why you're starting to see a lot of these kayaks, specifically fishing kayaks, get a lot wider and wider. Um, and what I've seen, especially with the pedal versions, is that you really don't end up losing all that much speed by going with a, a little wider kayak, which has kind of surprised me after being in them. Um, I personally like being able to stand and fish out of my kayak. I don't know if that's, I don't see necessarily too many guys doing it. Um, I'd say probably 25 to 50% of people kayak fishing. I've seen starting to get more and more comfortable standing and fishing. Um, one of my biggest suggestions is to add a stand-up assist strap. So you can even just use, for the longest time, I was just using 550 paracord hooked around the front handle. You kind of want, if you can, you want that assist strap to be on the uppermost part or the front part of the kayak. That's going to give you a little more leverage and a little stabi more stability. So get that assist strap on like that front handle. Um, have it able to, you know, get to your knees. And then when you're standing up and sitting down, if you can grab that and help support it, it'll help almost pull you up and it'll really help you sit down carefully, um, especially if you're in kind of a lower seat position. You don't want to just be falling back in your seat. Um, I've had a time where my seat actually folded down on me and I didn't realize it and I went to sit down and ended up sitting on the top of my seat and I almost fell in. Um, but I had that strap in my hand and it kind of, I was able to go down slow enough where it caught, I caught it and I was able to push it back up and sit down. But if you were just kind of going to take a regular seat, that probably would have thrown uh, me in the water with that. Um, so I suggest a stand-up assist strap. Uh, you could get outriggers too. I've seen a few people put little outriggers on. Um, or I know in Hobie specifically, they have a stand-up bar that you can put on your kayak. Um, and that's more of a rigid metal stand-up assist uh, device that you can kind of lean your hips against and just give you that extra stability. Another quick thing I, I recommend is if you haven't gone out on a warm day in relatively cold area, or sorry, on a warm day in a relatively calm area, I would suggest you go out and you get comfortable with the balance in your kayak. And if you want to stand up and fish, you should go out there and kind of test your kayak's limits and get ready to fall in the water because that's what you want to do. But you'll hear it a lot. It's called initial stability and secondary stability. stability. So initial stability is how it feels just kind of paddling along or pedaling along. Um, you know, some kayaks feel really slippery or wobbly at first. Some feel just very stable. And that's just kind of your initial stability feel. When you 
really start leaning over and especially when you're standing and you put weight on one side versus another, that's when you see that secondary stability. Um, some of these kayaks have almost a pontoon style um, where they have a lot more uh, assistance on either side. And so you can lean pretty hard on some of these kayaks on one side. I, I mean, I've seen even some guys stand completely on one side of a kayak. Um, that's where that secondary, secondary stability really comes into play. So I recommend going out, try, you know, rolling back and forth with your feet while standing and, and push it to its limit. See what it takes to actually get that kayak to flip. Because I think you'll be surprised in some of these larger fishing kayaks that are made to stand up in. It takes a fair amount to actually flip that kayak. Um, like I said, it's more likely that you'll go into the water first before you actually get that kayak to flip. With that being said, somehow with every tournament I go to, I hear about someone doing a true turtle and flipping their kayak and breaking rods and things like that. So <laughs> it doesn't mean that people don't completely turtle their kayaks, but it takes a lot uh, with some of these wider fishing kayaks to really uh, get them to flip over. Um, and I, I always suggest, if you're about to flip over, just fall out of the kayak. Um, you know, don't stick with the long enough where you're going to turtle the entire kayak. You got crates of gear and rods, and some people are carrying fish finders on there. A lot of those fish finders are not truly waterproof for complete submersion. Um, so I really recommend testing out your kayak, but if you're going to... If you're going to fall and tip over, don't turtle your entire kayak. Try to fall out of it. Let the kayak stay upright and then get back in. You'll be a little wet, but at least you won't ruin or, or lose a bunch of your gear. Um, the, other, the other side of that is that a lot of times people don't know they're going to tip, right? So um, if you're in kind of sketchy uh, water, you kind of know that there's a possibility that you're going to tip kind of have that mindset ready and be prepared for that always make sure obviously you have a life jacket on um, but really the biggest problem we see most people run into is when they're it's kind of hits them out of nowhere there's an underwater rock that's just slightly underwater on a river or something or a stick or um, i've seen sticks get stuck in scupper holes and people are trying to get off of those and everything um, you know, just, just try to always be prepared that something could happen. And like I said, I'd, I'd fall in the water before I get my kayak flipping. Um, let's see. And the biggest thing that I, I like when I look for a kayak in that stability sense is the ability to stand because of the fishing, um, that's what, and maybe I need to talk about this for a little bit. We need to remember what the end goal of this kayak fishing is all about. The end goal is to catch the fish, right? And so you need to be thinking about, you know, the price, sit on top, or the sit-in, stability, storage, propulsion. We have all these things that we're going through when we're trying to pick a kayak. But the end goal is to catch the fish. So... For me, like I said, I like a sit-on-top kayak. I want something stable 
because I want to be able to stand and be able to see into the water better. Um, you see on the bass, bass boats, you don't see guys sitting in the chairs in their bass boats, you know, casting from their chairs or anything like that, right? They're standing on the front deck. They're constantly looking in the water for any signs of, of whether it's actual fish themselves or bait fish. Um, you know, they're looking at lily pads. They're looking for structure, looking at dock poles. Maybe there's some boulders underwater or something you can't see. So that's why I like the stability is that it allows you to see in the water better and should allow you to fish better because you're seeing things that you wouldn't be able to see otherwise if you're sitting down. Um, it's pretty tough when you're sitting down in a kayak and fishing to really see much structure underwater. You get a lot of glare off the water. Um, polarized glasses can help with some of that, but sometimes the angle just isn't there to be really be able to see in the water. So that's where stability and be able to stand and fish really comes into play. Um, and you can also get a full cast off, which is really nice sometimes to really be able to launch a lure. Um, storage. Um, when picking a kayak, you got to look at your storage. So there's really two types of storage that you see. There's open access storage and there's closed access storage. Um, closed access storage is good for things that you won't need while you're really actually fishing. Um, so maybe it's something like you keep lunch down there, you keep a dry bag of clothes, um, maybe some lures and stuff that you don't expect yourself ever really needing, but in rare circumstances you'll need them. Um, you'll keep your batteries down there, maybe your phone and keys. Um, so it's always nice to have a little clothes access, uh, clothes storage. A waterproof storage uh, is really nice to have down there. Um, but when I'm looking for a kayak, really I'm looking at the open access storage areas uh, or opportunities that are available. Um, I, I want to be able to get my rods easily and I want to be able to get my tackle easily, right? Um, along with pliers and net and measuring device. So there's a few critical things that you need to have relatively easy access to and fast access to if needed. Um, and so a few of those things I listed are a little more specific to like tournament fishing, but uh, it's important when looking at kayak to be able to have open access and good maneuverability and movement within the kayak to be able to grab those things you need should you catch a fish or should you need to switch lures um, to better catch a fish uh, if you see one kind of a close by. Um, so that's kind of what I suggest and for tournament fishing specifically that's where it gets it really gets down to almost a dance in a sense where you do it enough times, you start getting used to it, and you start thinking about really where do I need these items uh, for me to be able to fish most successfully. Um, so right now I have a crate, crate behind the kayak seat with all my rods, but I typically will keep one or two rods up front with me that are kind of my go-to lures uh, that I'm fishing that time period. Um, so I have my, my regular one I'm fishing with, and then I'll usually have another one ready to go that's kind of the backup um, 
in case a fish maybe misses my first lure presentation, I can come back with a second one. Um, and then I have the net sitting essentially on my front hatch, but it's right, I can grab the net very easily should I hook a fish. Um, from there, once I hook the fish, I get it netted. I really need my phone and I need my measuring board. So my measuring board is right next to my crate, but the grab part is uh, right when my hand dangles down, I'm basically touching uh, the end of my board so I can quickly pull that out. And then I keep my phone in my life jacket and uh, I can quickly just pull that out of my life jacket and then put it on the board, take a picture of it and submit it when needed. So really having kind of a system down for when you do catch a fish, having everything available uh, to take a picture for a tournament is really critical. And then I have just right uh, basically on my seat, I have my pliers to be able to unhook the fish and then release it safely. So it's just really having a system down, having everything close by, um, but you want a kayak that allows you to be able to do that um, and be able to kind of turn and twist easily to be able to grab those things. So um, that's something to consider. Also with storage in a kayak, you want to make sure that the kayak has enough availability to strap things down where needed. So you want to make sure you can get your crate strapped down. Um, you want to make sure any lure boxes or anything. Um, I like a lot of the kayaks now have little spots for a Plano box or something right next to the seat that you can strap down. You can keep, you know, two to four Plano boxes right next to you. And that's really handy. You just have your go-to lures or soft plastics right next to you strapped down in case you do flip. Um, you know, you're not going to lose that. So that's what I look for there in terms of storage for a kayak. Also, um, let's get into propulsion. Uh, this is an absolutely huge topic in kayak fishing right now. It's pedal versus paddle versus motor uh, propulsion for a kayak. So, like I said, I start off with paddle. I've switched to pedal and having a pedal kayak now, having that Hobie Outback, and I know the price was expensive. I got a year-end discount, so I got mine for about $2,000. Now having the pedal kayak and the amount I love fishing and, and everything, I'm at a point where I tell people that I would essentially pay double for this thing. Um, having pedals is that much of a game changer to me. I would, have paid, I would have paid double for it. Um, it's just the ability to go hands-free essentially is really a game changer to me over paddling and, and fishing. Um, it also allows you that ability like to troll while you're holding that uh, rod in your hand. The ability to fight wind is probably the number one reason for me is because if you guys have kayak fished or you kayak fish regularly, you'll know that fighting the wind is probably the hardest part of kayak fishing when you get into that situation and you're just constantly getting pushed down, uh, you know, into the bank or away from the bank or, you know, you have a nice weed line that you're trying to fish or something or 
a rock pile and it's you know you get one cast in and then you're paddling for 10 20 seconds you get another cast in then you got to pick up the paddle and paddle again being able to just do a few you know little flutter kicks to keep you in position is is really a game changer now i have the forward and reverse and i think that's uh, the reverse is just as critical because if you're getting blown into a bank but you still want to be facing the bank while you're fishing it you can lightly pedal in reverse and basically hold your position there and uh, it really becomes a, a game changer in terms of holding your position to, to fish where you want to fish um, not to say that it's easy every time because there are certain directions and even with your your rudder cranked one direction um, it still can be hard sometimes in a pedal kayak and heavy winds to hold a position but most of the time i mean it's you're fishing areas where you would never even be able to if you're having a paddle so i am personally a big uh, I, I fully support the pedal movement that's going on and uh, i think it's just the best way out there to fish right now um, it's also having it hands free i think it gives you the ability to fish and have a lot more casts per day than you would otherwise with a paddle like i said picking up that paddle kind of in between fishing uh, really lowers the amount of casts you're able to get in um, but if you have a pedal kayak, I probably get in twice as many casts, well, easily twice as many casts now with a pedal kayak than I did when I had a paddle. And, you know, to me, it's all about the more time your lure's in the water, I think you end up getting more bites at the end of the day. Um, so that combined with a bait casting reel, because I used to use a spinner reel a lot with a paddle, then to flip the bale over and a spinner reel and everything and and to pick up the paddle and move over um, you know you realize you don't really have the lure out there nearly as much as you want to but you go to a pedal kayak and you get a bait casting reel where it's just you know there's no flipping the bale you're just constantly getting that uh, lure and you're out there and you're constantly casting um, it's it's a big difference in terms of your fishing now the other side of this is using a motor um, some consider it cheating i don't know where i lie with this um, i definitely see the advantage of having a motor um, nice thing about not i mean not having a motor is that very typically do you truly run out of enough energy to get you know to paddle around or get back or anything like that and these pedal kayaks are getting so good nowadays that you can pedal them miles and miles and you know you don't get really tired or anything the motor you always have the battery issue you always have the extra weight of not only the motor but the batteries that you're using to fuel the motor um, so there's a lot of you know there's a fair amount of downsides to the motor just from weight and you know electric wiring and uh, making sure all that is working correctly and then obviously it can break down uh, more easily than a pedal and definitely way more issue potential than a paddle um, but the speed uh, does play a factor and in tournaments where they're allowed um, 
it would be a big benefit to be able to go, you know, that seven to nine miles per hour that people are getting up to. But that's not to say with pedal, you can easily get up to three to five miles per hour. So it's not necessarily moving you along too much faster, but um, to be able to save the energy and, and to get that extra speed, um, definitely an advantage to a motor, but it is expensive. Um, I haven't seen too many people actually fully utilize a motor. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of back and forth on the whole motor thing. Um, I don't know. Some, does it take away from the sport a little or not? Um, I agree that it helps those that might need it or to help cover larger water when needed. Um, it's nice to have and everything. But I don't, I don't personally think you need it really for most people and for most areas. Um, I'd say a good pedal kayak will, will do you pretty good. Um, but when thinking about propulsion in general, there are a few things you need to kind of consider. The size of water is a big factor. Um, if you're working just a little pond or something and there's not a lot of wind going to hit it, you're not going to be pushed around too much. You're fine with with just paddling um, and kind of being in a simple kayak. You know, there's no prowl, problem there. Um, when you get to big water, that's really where it's a situation where I'd recommend pedal or motor. Um, you get into some lakes and stuff where to make it over to the next bay, it may take you one or two hours, you know. Um, so that's the situation where having a pedal or a motor is a big advantage over paddle. Um, in the same regards, having a kayak, if you do paddle, having a kayak that's built to paddle um, and it's kind of a longer, thinner kayak, you can paddle pretty quickly and efficiently if you have a kayak that, that's built for paddling. But typically those kayaks don't have all the features and all the stability that kayak fishing or a fishing kayak would have. Um, so there's a lot of trade-offs there. But size of water is a big... You really got to think about where you'll be fishing the most and does it make sense to upgrade to pedal or motor to help you deal with that size of water. The other thing you need to think about is if you fish a lot of weeds in shallow areas. Um, like with my Hobie Mirage Drive, it tends to get bogged down a lot in those weeds and shallow areas. Um, so there's a lot of times when I'm fishing shallow, I'll pop it out and use a paddle. But when you're that shallow and you have that many weeds, typically you aren't really getting blown around all that much. Um, so it kind of holds you there a little bit, which is nice. Um, so it's not needed. You don't need to move really fast through those areas anyways. Um, so there's not too much of a disadvantage of having a pedal. You just pick up your paddle. Um, but if you fish, you know, a lot of weedy and shallow areas and you travel through a lot of weedy and shallow areas, that, that's the time where maybe it's better to just have a paddle uh, and a paddle kayak for those kind of situations because having pedals will end up being kind of useless in uh, really shallow areas and weeds. Also, uh, out there on their river fishing too. Um, I didn't have that written down, but when I fish uh, the Mississippi River and most of the rivers around me in Minnesota here, I don't even bring my uh, 
Mirage Drive pedals at all, really. I typically keep those at home because I don't want them, I don't want something sticking a foot or two below the water while I'm going through some pretty fast current on a river with rocks and sticks and all that because that just gives you more ability to get hung up um, and potentially tip over. And then it also could break your drive and, you know, that's like, a lot of these drivers are 500 to 800 dollars and that's the last thing you want is to break your pedals um hobie did just release the new 360 kickup fins the only thing i don't know which which is a great idea you know you run over something and the fins actually kick up undamaged and then when you start pedaling again they swing back down and give you that propulsion the only thing i don't know is if you hit something with those pedals facing backwards i don't know how they would react there because um, my first thought when i saw it was when i when i float down a river a lot of times a river will end up turning people so they're facing uh, backwards essentially going down the river and so i was just thinking if it ends up turning me i'm facing backwards i got my pedals down or my mirage drive down and i come across some a really shallow rock that might mess up that new 360 kickup fin uh, product that Hobie just came out with. Um, so those are kind of a few few cons on the pedal side. The other con I can think of that is with a pedal drive, you're typically always carrying a paddle also. So it's an extra and pretty heavy accessory to be bringing with you. Um, and you're taking a paddle with you anyways when you have your your pedal drive whereas with a paddle drive you just have your single paddle it's very lightweight um, and relatively inexpensive to replace if something happens whereas pedals are heavy they're expensive to replace and you have to bring a paddle with you so a few different things to think about there um, the other thing is a stroke so this gets into a little bit more specifics on between different pedal drives um, really the two main strokes you have is you have a full bicycle stroke so like native kayaks has a full bicycle stroke to pad uh, to pedal your kayak and typically the propulsion device looks very much like a propeller on those but what i really want to kind of clarify here is what the movement that your legs are doing so with a bicycle stroke you're not only uh, you're also picking up your legs within the stroke it's like a recumbent bike position where you're sitting back and kind of picking up your legs and you're making that bike stroke the hobies however and this was the big reason why i ended up going with hobie because i've heard of people having little uh, issues with their legs and muscles with that recumbent bicycle position i went with hobie because hobie's pedal pedaling it's that fin style mirage drive the, the stroke though of a hobie is a back and forth stroke so it's kind of a straight um, straight horizontal stroke there isn't this bicycle motion where you're kind of going up and down while going horizontally if that makes sense but if it doesn't make sense go look at the two different um, look at like a native pedal drive and then look at hobie pedal drive 
and then look at the actual leg motion between the two and you can see that Hobie, you can do a short little flutter kick where you're barely moving them at all. Or you can do a full kick, but it's all, it's all straight like piston movement. Whereas some of the other drives are more bicycle uh, style drive. The only advantage I see the bicycle ones is that they do allow you to go instantly in reverse. So all you got to do is start pedaling bas backwards on a bicycle style and they go in reverse. Whereas the Hobies, you need to pull... Uh, a toggle to get them to go in reverse. Um, so that's a little bit about propulsion, a little bit about pedal drives. Other items quickly talk about, um, I mentioned rocker earlier. Um, rocker is kind of the banana shape of the bottom of the kayak. The more of a banana it is rather than just a straight linear line, the faster you're gonna be able to turn um, you'll see a lot of whitewater kayaks and everything have a lot of rocker to them. They have that big banana shape because they need to be able to turn quickly um, to avoid rocks. But the only problem with that is that they track horribly. So if you have a kayak with a lot of rocker, it's not going to paddle straight very fast. It's going to want to kind of turn on that axis uh, a lot more. Also, the... Uh, other item you have to look out for is hole slap. So if you can demo a kayak before you get it, I'd always recommend actually paddling it, seeing how it tracks, checking stability and everything, but checking your hole slap. Some kayaks have a very a narrow, thin approach and they kind of cut through the waves and some are built to kind of smash in the waves and go over waves. So it's important to kind of look at how that front of your hole is shaped and see if that that's a kayak that's going to have a, a lot of slap or if it's going to kind of cut through the waves a little bit more. Cutting through the waves might get you a little, might be a little wetter ride, but it, it's going to be more efficient. Um, I'm, and I'm also always looking for when choosing a kayak, you got to look for all the kind of built-in accessories. Like I mentioned, kind of a storage before, but you also need to look for, you know, paddle holders. Does it have built-in rod holders? Um, if it does have rod holders, are you going to even use them? Are you going to put rod holders on a crate? Um, it is nice to have a little staging rod holder up front for one of your uh, rods ready to go. What about the fish finder options and installation? And, you know, is there a little area underneath where you can put your transducer and have that mounted out of the way so you don't have it running over rocks? And then an area where you can run the lines through and in an easy spot to put that fish finder. Um, does it have a rudder? Let me just talk a little bit about rudder fast. Uh, a rudder is a game changer and I didn't have one on a kayak until I got my pedal drive kayak. Um, but I think even for a pedal or I mean a paddling kayak, I would see a lot of value in a rudder because there's a lot of times where I can crank a, a rudder to the side or you know, kind of in between and let the wind push me along uh, like a, a weed bed or something or a brake. And you can adjust that rudder and uh, use the wind to actually keep you at the right distance away from that. Um, there, there's a lot of value also in just having that rudder help keep you facing where you want to fish. 
Otherwise, you get in situations where you're turned, you know, 90 degrees, 180 degrees away from the area you actually want to fish. Um, so then you're almost doing a backwards cast over your shoulder to fish the area you want. But I've seen with rudders, um, you can really fine tune the direction that you want to face with those. So anyways, I suggest you go, you check out rudders. If your kayak already doesn't have a rudder on it, I think it's a good accessory worth considering um, to help you with your fishing. Anyways, I just found, uh, found out I'm about at an hour for this episode, so I'm going to try to speed through the end portion of this um, so you guys can get back to, get back to fishing, hopefully. Um, I want to go through some of the kayaks that I would recommend and then along with some brands that I would recommend. So I'm just going to kick it off and give you some of the top beginner kayaks. I had them initially ranked. Um, I think it's better off maybe not to rank them. I'm probably going to get some people commenting on some kayaks I missed. But I think this this is going to cover a good majority of uh, solid kayaks uh, that someone should consider if they're looking to get into kayak fishing. So, um, beginner kayaks. Uh, here's, here's a list of five that I would suggest. By beginner, I mean good, solid fishing kayaks under $1,000. I know that seems expensive, but uh, for really getting into kayak fishing, under $1,000 is, is pretty good. And a lot of kayak manufacturers are uh, pricing kayaks under $1,000 as kind of entry level for kayak fishing. So I'd take a serious look at the new canoe flint. That's really a kayak design with a nice big open to whatever you want kind of uh, attitude to it. That new canoe flint, the Vibe Seaghost 110 is a lot of kayak for the money. They even do sales occasionally, which is nice. Uh, Perception Pescador Pro 12 is another just good, solid uh, paddling kayak. Uh, also want to mention on that new canoe flint, they do have an accessory to turn it into pedal kayak at a later time as an extra accessory. So it's nice with some of these, um, you have the option to add pedals later. Another one is a Wilderness Systems Tarpon 120, good solid uh, paddling kayak. And then the Jackson Cruise 12 is kind of an interesting kayak. There's a little uh, little newer, but it's kind of that open style, very stable kayak. Moving on to intermediate kayaks. This is kind of that middle price range between like $1,000 and $2,000. Um, I take a hard look at the Wilderness Systems Radar 135. Um, the New Canoe Pursuit is another good one. I think it's just a little better than that Flint. It's a little more solid. Uh, and then the Old Town Topwater 120 PDL, or pedal kayak. Um, that's probably one of your least expensive pedal kayaks available, that Old Town uh, Topwater 120 pedal. Um, and then I'll do my top sit-in kayak. So if you're considering getting a sit-in kayak rather than a sit-on-top, I would take a strong look at the Jackson Kilroy or the Jackson Kilroy HD 
two uh, really awesome sitting kayak that actually has internal horizontal rod storage in it. It's built to stand in. Uh, pretty cool kayak there. Bonafide just came out with their Bonafide EX123, which is a new sitting kayak meant for kind of that quick on the on the go or grab and go style of fishing there. The Old Town Loon 126 Angler, kind of a classic one there. And then Native has the Ultimate FX Pro 12, which is kind of a really cool mix between uh, canoe, kayak. It's sit inside, but it's kind of more of almost like a canoe style. Um, and then the top three overall. So this one I did rank. This one is going to end up showing my true colors here a little bit. But in the three spot, I have the Native Slayer, and I went with the Propel Max 12.5. So this is a new kayak by Native. I haven't actually been in it yet. Um, but I also really like that Native Titan that they have. But I think this new Slayer Propel Max 12.5 really hits a lot of the boxes. It's a great compromise between uh, kind of length and width and it has horizontal rod holders and you know it's pedal drive it's it's has a lot going for it I think it's going to be a big contender uh, that people are going to look at my second overall I'm going with the Hobie Pro Angler 14 uh, and I'm going to go with the 360 model so this is the brand new Hobie Pro Angler um, this is the one that has a drive that can go in any direction so you can turn the drive sideways if you want and the rudder sideways and you basically just pa uh, pedal sideways um, or forward or backwards or whatever. The only reason I have it in the number two spot is because I think it's going to be a burden for most people. It's going to be too heavy um, unless you're trailering it or have a really serious setup uh, to kind of haul it around. I think that's going to be the only downside there. Otherwise, that thing's going to be basically like fishing out of a boat. Um, and the ability to move in the directions, I think, is a game changer. Also, the number reason I have it in number two spot is it hasn't really been proven. That 360 drive has only been out for a little bit now, and so it hasn't really proven itself. Um, and in the number one spot, the reason I purchased one as my main kayak, I have the Hobie Outback. I think it's the perfect combination um, of length, width, weight. Uh, I think it really covers all the boxes. I have the older model. There's a lot of people that go back and forth debating if the new 2019 style Hobie Outback is better than the old one or not. I think the 2019 is probably just a little bit better. Um, but either way, even that older style is really, I think, the best kayak out there right now. Um, the forward and reverse, I would make sure that you can get it with the 180 reverse uh, Mirage drive. You want the ability to be able to go backwards. Either way, with if fishing kayaks these days, there's so many new models coming out. It's really an exciting time in kayak fishing. If you go to the, some of the solid brands like Hobie, Native, New Canoe, Jackson, Wilderness Systems, Vibe, uh, Perception, Old Town, 
if you go with one of those brands and you get a fishing kayak from them, it's going to be pretty good. Um, so kind of keep those brands in mind and, uh, and you'll, you'll get a good fishing kayak. The verse of the episode is going to be Luke 15, 1-7. It's the parable of the lost sheep. So here's 15-1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So, so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found the sheep, my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. So just great uh, parable in the Bible there. Um, just talking about how God goes after that, that one and how there's more rejoicing in, in sinners who repent than over uh, others who think they're perfect and uh, kind of go through life that way. The lure of the episode is going to be the spinnerbait. Um, this is one of my favorite go-to confidence lures. Again, uh, I look at brands like Booyah, War Eagle, Terminator has kind of a smaller spinnerbait I really like, Z-Man Sling Blades, and then one I've been throwing a lot lately actually is Ishman Rose Bling uh, made by River to Sea. That's a really, really good spinnerbait I've been using recently. It's a little more expensive, but it's uh, it's been ca catching fish for me pretty good. Um, areas I look for for a spinnerbait, you know, the nice thing about spinnerbait is it's, it's a moving lure, so it's really easy to fish, um, especially when there's a lot of chop or something. You don't have to worry about that finesse technique of not feeling the fish hitter or anything. Um, you know, you cast it out or you can do a straight retrieve. You can kind of do pauses or twitches and um, not necessarily long pauses, but you can um, do quick little pauses or twitches to get it a little more erratic looking. Um, you can let them drop. Uh, the one thing I like a lot about it is you can fish pretty much the entire water column. You can fish it really fast and have it basically almost working as a top water lure, or you can let that sink all the way to the bottom and just let it run against the, the bottom, essentially, um, or through middle of depth. I like to tease it along the top of grass. So if you have like submergent weeds or grass, and you can fish this just over that and just kind of tickle the top of the weeds, um, you'll see bass and occasionally pike also around here come out and they'll just slam it out of nowhere. Um, so that's one of my techniques. But any holes in weeds or grass that you can fish it in between, um, weed edges is, is critical. You can also troll um, with it kind of along weed edges. Um, but you can throw a spinner bait at just about anything. It's really meant to uh, act like a bait fish uh, in a sense and I always put a little trailer on the hook so I'll get a little swim bait whether it's a three four or five inch swim bait and put that on the bottom of that spinner bait hook and uh, kind of use that as a trailer in a sense to make sure they hit that bottom hook uh, 
there's three types of blades you typically see. You'll see willow blades, Colorado blades, and then Indiana is kind of mixed. Willow is just like what it sounds like, thin, long, like a willow leaf. Colorado is almost like a circular shape, and Indiana is kind of mixed between the two. It's kind of more of a teardrop. But I typically am throwing in double willow. If I had to pick only one spinnerbait, it'd be a double willow blade, half ounce weight, and then I would uh, go with probably white or white with a little chartreuse in it. Um, you want to make sure that that bait's uh, running straight. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty simple, pretty simple bait. I basically fish shoreline with it mainly. And uh, you, you pound shoreline with a spinner bait, you'll pick up some fish. So a lot of times in a tournament, if I'm struggling to get any fish on the board, I'll grab a spinner bait and just pound the bank until I get a few bass in the boat. All right, let's switch over to kayak news. Um, BASS Bass has just released a new kayak tournament trail, which is pretty exciting. Uh, the top 30 of 150 get paid, and it's a $30,000 purse. So if you win it, I'm sure you're sure you're making some good money. There's a $250 entry fee. I'm pretty sure that's per tournament. Um, and they're going to use Tourney X uh, as the app to submit your fish. So this is typical kind of kayak tournament, catch photo and release, where you put it on a, a measuring device to measure the length of the fish, and then you upload it through Tourney X um, as the app. So great app, very easy. You can actually see your standings in the tournament typically throughout the whole tournament, um, which kind of adds a little interest to it. So you can see if you're, if you're doing well in the tournament or not. And then let's see where they're going here. Um, inaugural tournaments on Logan Martin Lake in Pell City, Alabama on March 5th. And then they got Lake Gunnersville, they got Lake Fork in Texas, Chickamauga in Dayton, Tennessee, the Mississippi River in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and Clear Lake in Lakeport, California. So looks like they're relatively spread out. Um, and I don't know, it just seems like it's going to be a cool kayak tournament trail. They mentioned in the article that really just how kayak fishing is blowing up and and they want to kind of get in on the game. So that uh, that will be a cool option for people that are looking to get a little more serious into kayak fishing and want to get in tournament trails. It looks like we have a new tournament trail uh, to partake in. And the payout, I think, should be, should be pretty solid. And then the last portion we'll get into is the, the user questions. We had Michael Thompson, who fishes all the time uh, I've, I've fished a few tournaments against him and uh the guy's a hammer and he also fishes four to five times a week <laughs> which is ridiculous but um he had the question uh, where did the name boundaryless come from he thought it was kind of a, a cool name and uh so picking a name for kind of a, a company or brand or podcast you know it's a difficult thing to do and it's been something that I've been thinking about doing for a while and uh, was trying to come up with a different name for for a long time and I started uh, I started 
I'm a big fan of the Boundary Waters in northern Minnesota. And so I started kind of thinking, well, it'd be cool if I can incorporate something from the Boundary Waters kind of into my name. And, uh, you know, kind of was going with that and throwing on, you know, do I do something with my own name in it? Um, do something that mentions bass fishing i don't know it's it's tough to make a choice when you're coming to names but with the boundary waters it kind of got me thinking of boundary or the word boundary and then one day just kind of i was like a whole boundary list and and uh, started doing a little research so boundary list kind of just came to me after you know digging more into the boundary waters and i've always camped and canoe fished up there and it's just a beautiful area. And so I wanted something kind of incorporating that a little bit. And then one day boundaryless kind of popped in my head. And it seemed kind of just like the perfect word to build a company or a little brand around. Um, and I think it, it holds value in terms of everything that kayak fishing is. You know, kayak fishing is breaking the typical boundaries of fishing in general. You don't need a huge expensive boat. Um, you can escape the, you know, the limiting factors of bank fishing. Um, it just has, it's an exploding portion of fishing right now. I just think that Boundaryless is kind of the perfect name that sums up kayak fishing in general. You know, kayak fishing is meant to be an adventure. It's meant to be fun. It's meant to have no boundaries. You're meant to go places that boats can't go, you know. I see guys dragging kayaks into places that you would never dream of going, you know, fishing typically with, and then being able to access all that water. Um, it's so that's kind of the thought behind boundaryless. Once I kind of thought of the word and started thinking about it, it kind of seemed like a no-brainer to me um, to continue with that name and to try to develop something out of it. So I'm a uh, I'm excited about the name. I like the name. I tried picking a logo that's pretty uh, basic, you know, something that, you know, whether you're a hardcore fisherman or whether you're weekend warrior or you just, you know, feel like getting a shirt or a sweatshirt or something like that, a logo that just kind of covers multiple uh, variants of people and just something that's kind of simple. And uh, I don't know. I, I hope people like the name i hope people enjoy it and uh yeah that's boundaryless kayak fishing so anyways i hope you guys were able to listen to the entire episode i hope i brought you some good uh interesting tidbits to think about when you're gonna purchase your next fishing kayak um, there's certainly a ton of different information uh, a ton of different kayaks to consider it is it's a tough choice uh, to make so i know how frustrating it can be. I spent, you know, a good year whittling my decision down to let Hobie out back. But man, I, I thought about every kayak in between and the money aspect of it. It's, it's a long process. So, uh, hopefully this helps you guys a little bit. Uh, if not, then, then I do have a lot more podcasts coming. I'm sure I'll hit something that you like, but anyways, appreciate you guys tuning in, uh, like subscribe. This should be coming out soon and other formats for you guys to listen to so 
Anyways, thanks again for listening. I'll catch you guys later. Thank you for tuning in to the Boundless Kayak Fishing Podcast. Enjoy your time on the water.